0: Good morning. It's great to be here with you this morning. Um, Pastor Steve uh, asked me if I would uh, kind of just sort of share with you guys, our church family, uh, some of the things that have been going on in, the, in my life and the life of my family while he's uh, away at his daughter's graduation. And, and so we want to do that. We want to kind of give you an update on uh, where we're at in our preparations to go to Papua New Guinea And then also, uh, we want to connect that with what we see in God's Word, and my hope is that it's all going to work together to bring something practical and encouraging that you can take with you and incorporate in your life this week. So um, like Walt said, if you don't know me, my name is Scott Hardaway, and uh, my family and I have been part of Northview here for uh, almost three years now. And prior to coming here, I was a pastor in Michigan for 12 years, and I ended up stepping down when my first wife passed away from cancer. And so then uh, that kind of led to a, a whole series of events in my life that wound up with me moving out here. And along the way, God brought me and Noel together in a pretty crazy and amazing and miraculous way. And uh, so now we are answering God's call on our lives to go to Papua New Guinea and take the gospel to the Finisterre Mountains there, where there are 53 language groups, where there are no Christians, no churches, and, and no missionaries that are currently working among those those language groups. And so we're going to be bringing the gospel there. So, in a nutshell, what our what our intention is, what the plan is, is uh, to Go and learn the national trade language called Pidgin. We're going to identify a village that wants to have us come and serve among them as missionaries. And with their permission, we'll move into that village, build a house, learn the tribal language and culture develop an alphabet for that language, teach the people how to read and write, start translating the Bible into that language, begin teaching some foundational Bible lessons, share the gospel, establish a church, raise up indigenous leadership, and then begin to phase out and hand the ministry over to them. That's the plan. (laughs) And so uh, right here, I just want to kind of give a shout out to you guys. You all are so awesome. This is a truly incredible church, and we are so blessed that God has led us here. In November, we put out a list of things that we needed to purchase in the States before we left. Uh, because let's face it, living in a tropical jungle on the side of a mountain is really different than living in the Seattle metro area. So uh, there are things that we didn't have that we identified would be very, very useful for us in that context. Things like rugged hiking boots, solar powered batteries, mosquito nets, snake venom extraction kits, uh, medical reference books with titles like When There Is No Doctor, and, and we put out that list and in like three weeks' time you just flooded us with almost every single item that we asked for. It, it was thousands of dollars worth of supplies. And we were just blown away by your generosity. So, uh, from my family, from the depths of our hearts, thank you. You all are... Uh, Just a huge part of helping us get there. And we appreciate it. So um, that was in November. That was the last time that I was up here to share with you. And and there are a few things that have happened since then. So I want to just kind of give you a brief update before we dive into the scriptures. But uh, initially our goal was to leave for PNG this fall, 2017. And even at the beginning of this year, we were still on track to be able to reach our goal. We're 60% done with our training. We're currently about 40% of the way toward having our startup costs covered. And about 45% of our uh, monthly budget has already uh, been coming in from monthly supporters. And, and so those numbers are... Um, not only really encouraging, but they're also steadily climbing, and, and God has really been supplying us with everything that we need. And those were kind of the numbers that we were tracking to sort of determine—you know—we want to get all those things up to 100%, so that and then we know we're ready to go and we can we can head off a, as soon as as we can. But in the last couple months, there's been a change of plans. How many of you here this morning, uh, by show of hands, would call yourselves planners? Right? So, like, if given the choice between uh, having a plan or just winging it, you would rather have a plan. That makes you feel comfortable. How many would fall into that category? Okay, all right, a fair number of us. Uh, Now, those of you who just raised your hands, then, uh, is there anything that makes your heart sink more than the phrase, there's been a change of plans? (laughs) Right? I mean... Just hearing it feels, feels, you don't even know what the plans are, but and you don't even know what the change is, but just hearing that phrase fills you with feelings of doom and dread. It's, oh man, and that's just the worst, right? Okay, now, how many of you are really not into that planning thing all that much? You know, when it comes down to it, you don't really care if there's a plan or not because because you're spontaneous and free-spirited. How many would fall into that category? Okay, all right, keep your hands up. All you planners, look around. These are the people ruining your life. If uh, any of you planners are are married to non-planners, you can contact Pastor Steve when he gets back from vacation to start your counseling appointments before he leaves for sabbatical. You'll want to uh, hit him up early. We've learned, for us, that there's been a change of plans, but, but not just for us. In our missions agency, Finister Vision, there's a family that's been serving for the last two years among the Doe language, uh, the Dodd family. And in mid-January, while back in the United States on furlough, Matt Dodd was diagnosed with terminal stage four lung cancer. And uh, uh, this is hard for me because these are friends of ours. Noel and I have met them. We know them personally. And uh, so he nearly died from a stroke, actually, in January. That was brought on by the cancer because it's traveled all the way to his brain and um, he's currently undergoing intensive treatment and of course the Dodd family will not be returning to Papua New Guinea but the good news is that uh, since the stroke Matt is responding to treatment doing much better but the bad news is the diagnosis is still terminal Uh, doctors don't expect him to make it much more than two years so uh, the Dodd family would obviously greatly appreciate your prayers for them. Uh, and meanwhile, the rest of the team that's currently serving in Papua New Guinea will be coming back to the States this fall, the time that we were initially planning to leave. Uh, so Noel and I, we prayed about it. We determined it didn't make a lot of sense for us to head off to PNG by ourselves when everybody that we'd be serving with is over here. Uh, so our new plan is to head out summer of 2018, after the other Finister v- uh, Vision families have finished their furlough, and uh, we'll be joining them then uh, as we head out there. So we're also uh, using this time to, uh, excuse me, to, uh, to refine some of our own plans, Initially, we had expected to to homeschool both of our boys when we got to Papua New Guinea. But after a lot of prayer and discussion and research and consultation, uh, we're thinking that that a boarding school might be a better fit for our older son, Jared. Uh, Lots of missionary families uh, put their kids in boarding school. And so we're thinking that might be a better fit for him. So with this extra time, we're kind of doing a a test run. We found a a wonderful Christian all-boys school That seems to be a good fit for him and uh, he's been there since the middle of March now and uh, we're kind of trying that out. He's doing well, but obviously it's still a a big adjustment for us, our family. So so change of plans, right? Change of plans. Now me, I am a planner. Um, I love to make plans. I love to execute plans. I like to have a backup plan just in case. But one thing I've noticed with all my planning, is that life rarely goes according to plan. My brother likes to say, life is what happens to you when you're busy making other plans. Maybe a little less polite is Mike Tyson's version. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. (laughs) Because that's how life is. You might be here this morning and life has gone sideways for you. You're in a place you never planned on being. You didn't plan on job hunting at this point in your life. Or you didn't plan on your marriage going downhill and now you're separated. Maybe parenting didn't turn out how you had pictured it. Or there's been a medical event or a car accident that just came out of the blue or a financial disaster you didn't see coming and life has just sucker punched you right in the mouth. Like yesterday, we just found out that we have to replace the radiator in Noel's van. We weren't planning on that. What do you do when someone or something breaks into your life and says, there's been a change of plans? I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles or your phones to Acts chapter 15, which is where we're going to be today. I love the Book of Acts, partly because it's an exciting story of adventure. Uh, I like adventure. Obviously, I'm getting ready to go on a giant adventure, um, and it's an adventure related to the the spread of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire in just a few short decades. So I love, I love that part of it. But I also love Acts because of what it teaches us about our plans and God's plans. A couple chapters earlier in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are sent off on what is known as Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, so they went to the island of Cyprus and then they went up to Pisidian, Antioch, and Iconium, and Lystra, and Derbe, and then they went back again, this time skipping Cyprus and heading straight back to, to Syria and Antioch. And during that time, a, a bunch of Gentiles came to faith in Christ. And, and a growing controversy that, that had been brewing in the early church finally came to a head. And it was the question of, do the Gentiles that are all coming to faith in Jesus, do they have to convert to Judaism And follow all of the Jewish laws in order to be recognized as Christians and received into the church. Some people said yes. Other people, including Paul and Peter, said no. So there was a big conference that was held at Jerusalem to sort of sort the matter out and put it to rest once and for all. And Paul and Barnabas were sent to attend that conference. So, so after they had completed their journey back here to Antioch, they went down to Jerusalem, which is way down here, uh, to attend that conference. And then they went back because Antioch was sort of their home base. And all the church leaders, they met together there in Jerusalem. They wrote a letter to be distributed to all the churches that the Gentiles could be welcomed into the church and be considered Christians without converting to Judaism but they should abstain from idolatry and sexual immorality and drinking animal blood which seems reasonable to me <laughs> so let's pick it up from that point in acts chapter 15 verse 36 where paul starts planning his second missionary journey acts 15:36 So sometime later, after that conference and after they had gone back home, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So, uh, can we move? Yeah, there we go. So, this is his second missionary journey. So, Barnabas took Mark and went to this island of Cyprus. That was the route that they had initially taken, if you remember, on the first missionary journey. So, so Barnabas went this way, and Paul went over land through Cilicia, and he went to a lot of the same, the same places that he had been before. He came to Derby, and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. And the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew his father was a Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. And so uh, Phrygia is is kind of uh, right in here, and then Galatia... Probably refers to the northern part up here. So this is kind of this part of, of the journey where Paul is, is, is right in here. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So throughout this time that Paul is traveling, he's going through kind of the border of, of Asia, this, this province here. But he's been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word. So he's traveling through, but he's not stopping anywhere. He's not preaching. He's not, he's not sharing the gospel. And you'll notice he's kind of off track from what he had set out to do. He's not coming back down through here and, and coming through this region where they had preached the gospel the first time. He's moving on eastward, just kind of wandering through here, not preaching, not planting churches, just moving through Asia, which seems odd. But he was kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word there. And when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So that's up here at the the top. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas, which is here on the coast. And they just proceeded all the way down to the coast. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them over here. Now, it warms my heart to know that Paul was a planner. He didn't just wander around and make it up as he went along. He had a plan. And we're not going to look at it right now, but if you ever want an interesting insight into Paul's personality, uh, just read Romans 15 and look at Paul's plans for the expansion of the gospel. His plan was basically this. Travel roughly east to west, preaching the gospel in areas where it hasn't been heard yet, establish Christian communities and the important cities in each region, and then nurture those communities toward mature stability. That was Paul's plan. That's what he did. It's how he went about his mission that God had called him to. And once those three things had been accomplished, Paul says there's no more room for his particular missionary calling in those areas, and he's prepared to simply move on. But no matter how much of a planner Paul was, he was always aware that his plans had to take a back seat to God's plans. It's amazing to read through the New Testament and to see just how often Paul makes plans and then has to change his plans for a variety of reasons. 2 Corinthians 1. In my Bible, this section is called Paul's Change of Plans. I plan to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I plan to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and then have you send me on my way to Judea. When I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes and no, no? I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. So that's what he says in 2 Corinthians. 1 Thessalonians 2. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, but not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. But For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped us. Romans 1. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. So that gives you a little window into the way that Paul went about his ministry. I think sometimes we get this idea that, well, he was the Apostle Paul, and God just told him what to do. So he went everywhere, and people got saved. The end. But when we stop and actually read the text, we see that he had all the same kind of problems we do. It wasn't just all laid out for him. And, And actually, the more realistic picture is that he was out there attempting this giant, colossal thing for God. And he was constantly running into forces that were stronger than he was. And he was keenly aware that he wasn't in control, but he was depending on God to overcome it all on his behalf. So coming back to Acts now. Paul proposed this second missionary journey with a plan. The plan was that he and Barnabas would take the message of the Jerusalem Council, the the decision that had been reached, and they would take that back to the churches that they had established on their first missionary journey, encouraging them with that good news, checking in with them, seeing how they were doing. That was the plan. He did not plan on taking that flake, John Mark, who wimped out on them last time halfway through. He didn't plan on Barnabas insisting on taking John Mark. He didn't plan on a big relationship blow up and a falling out. He didn't plan on meeting Timothy halfway through his journey. He didn't plan on God keeping him from preaching in Asia and Bithynia. Why would God keep him from preaching? He didn't plan on going to Macedonia. None of that was part of Paul's plan. But it was part of God's plan. So, how did Paul respond when God butted into his plans? Did he flip out? Get angry? Did he take it out on the people around him? This is all your fault. Did he pout? Fine. That's the way it is. I'm not even going on a second missionary journey. Did he despair? Oh, woe is me. I can never do another missionary journey again. Did he play the victim? Did he worry and fret? No, of course not. He didn't do any of that. He adjusted his plan and followed God. You see, Paul had a plan, but he held it loosely. He held it with open hands and he was perfectly willing to let God say, Paul, there's been a change of plans because Paul knew that God's purpose was way better than Paul's plans. It was easy for Paul to adjust his plans because he didn't want to miss out on God's purpose. But we don't always do that, do we? We hold so tightly to our plans. And it becomes so painful then when God rips them out of our clenched fists. See, here's the deal. If we've given ourselves to Jesus, if we've signed up to follow Him, then it means we're really no longer the ruler of our lives. Right Later on, Paul would write, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's the way that Paul looked at his own life. And I think we need to look at our lives that same way because Paul actually wasn't the one who came up with that idea. He got it from Jesus who said, if anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. The German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And I just want to point out here that dead men do not throw a hissy fit when their plans get changed. We have a sovereign a ruler, a monarch, a king, who has authority over us. First, He created us. He designed every aspect of our lives like a master craftsman. So He alone knows what it is that we're supposed to do in the first place. And then He rescued us from sin. He paid our debt when we couldn't pay it ourselves. So we owe Him everything. He made us and He bought us. And that's why He has authority over our lives. He's the one who calls the shots. He is the one who sets the agenda. He is the one who determines the timeline. Our job is to be ready, to be willing, to be available, to be usable. So let me just ask you this morning. How do you do when there's a change of plans? I want to ask you to spend a few moments here just thinking about that question. I don't mean your husband or your wife, not your kids or your parents or the person sitting next to you. How do you do when there's a change of plans? What's your typical reaction to an emergency car repair? A lost wallet? Traffic jam? A 3 a.m. phone call. There's been an accident. The boss wants to have a meeting with just you. Some of us are planning for retirement. We're planning a vacation this summer. What would your reaction be if there were to be a change of plans? A change of plans not initiated by you but some outside force breaking in saying, no, 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 that's not the way it's going to be now. I want to encourage you to take out your bulletins and a spot where there's a, a place to take notes, just grab a pen or borrow one from a neighbor and just jot down one word. The word that comes to you in that moment when there's been a change of plans. Do you... Do you get worried? Is that your word? Worried? Angry? Scared? Defensive? Bitter? Depressed? Is your impulse to fight it and resist it? Do you, do you go up and get agitated and flustered? Or do you sink down and mope and despair? How do you react when there's a change of plans? What is that word for you? I just want you to, uh, to jot it down. Like Pastor Steve says, these are the things that pick us. We don't pick them. And, and they're recurring reminders that we're not the ones who are in control. I don't care how good a planner you are, there is no plan that you can ever come up with to control the world. And, and on one level, we know that, right? But few of us enjoy being reminded. All right, so, so what's your word? Did you write that down? Now, I want to ask you to jot down one word that describes how you would like to be in those situations. When life breaks in and there's been a change of plans, how do you wish you responded to those situations? How do you wish you handled it? What is that word? Just go ahead and jot it down next to your other words. So you should have two words on your piece of paper. What is that word? What are those words? All right, now, I don't want to ask you to reveal too much here, but just if you're comfortable with a show of hands, how many of you have two different words on your paper? And, And what I mean is, that the two words you wrote down are not the same word, right? How many, how many? Okay, so what that means is for most of us then, we react to a change in plans differently than we wish we did. And I just want to say congratulations because you've just discovered a growing edge in your life. That's awesome, right? Because... Now we understand, you know what? This is something that I can work on. This is something that I can turn over to God and ask Him for help. This is a place that I can grow in my faith and my trust and my dependence on Him where I can recognize that His plan is going to be better for me than my plan even if I don't understand it, even if I can't see it, even if it doesn't make any sense to me. Because the way that I wish I responded is differently than the way that I usually do. It's a place for me to become more of how God intends me to be. And that's great. So how do we go about that, right? I'm going to give you some ideas, and I want to encourage you to just pick at least one that you can do this week. These are not too hard. These are things you can do this week to begin transitioning from the first word into the second word. All right, so number one, first thing you can do, talk about your two words with someone in your family. A spouse, if you have one, would be ideal, but maybe a brother or sister or parent, someone who loves you, knows you really well, maybe somebody in your community group. Talk about your two words with them and ask them to help you grow from your first word into your second word. Ask them, what do you see in my life that you think I could do to help me grow from this into this? And see what they say. So that's one thing you can do. Maybe you say, I don't have anybody like that. I don't have anybody who knows me or loves me. Okay, all right. Well, Then, one thing, another different thing that you could do is to write a letter to God about your two words. Ask Him to show you how to become more like your second word. Ask Him for help. And I would encourage you, too, to give a copy of that letter to someone else a pastor, your community group leader, your spouse and ask them to pray for you, too. Say, This is the letter that I wrote to God this week. And I just want to ask you to pray along with me about these things in my life. So what we're doing is is we're connecting our need with the people and the community that God has placed around us and connecting ourselves with God and his truth and his word. Number three, third option, put your two words somewhere that you'll see them every day. Maybe you write them on a three-by-five card. You tape them to your bathroom mirror or your steering wheel if you struggle in traffic or in your desk drawer at work or your underwear drawer. Somewhere you're going to see them every day. No one else needs to see, or if if they do, they don't need to know what those words are, but they can be a constant reminder for you of where you are and where you want to be. And every time you see those words, pray and ask God to help you become what you are not yet. Or you could go to BibleGateway.com, which has the entire text of Scripture and about a thousand different translations. Type your two words into the search bar and write down two or three of the verses that, that pop up that connect with you. Don't just grab ones at random, but read through those verses and say, oh, that's a good verse for me. And write it down. Write out the whole verse and then memorize those verses. So, for example, if your two words are fear and peace, maybe that's you, then then maybe you memorize Romans 8.15. The Spirit that you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit that you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. And whenever you're feeling afraid, you can remember that verse. That's not the spirit that God has given me. And then John fourteen twenty-seven, the words of Jesus. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So you can memorize two verses like that. That speak to your two words. And you fill your heart and your mind with that truth of God. What are the steps that you are going to take this week to help you grow in your faith and dependence on the Lord?